This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. to Friend of Maryland. My name is Kat Pauze, and this is a fat-friendly space. Welcome to a special compilation episode of Friend of Maryland. Instead of a brand new show this week, what you're going to get are some highlights from some of the best interviews that have been done here at Friend of Maryland over the last couple of years. Enjoy! Joining me today is Connie Russell, a professor in the education faculty at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, Canada. Connie, thank you so much for coming on Friend of Maryland. Well, and thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Well, it's such a treat to finally, like, quote-unquote, meet you. Um, <laughs> just, you know, full disclosure to the listeners, um, Connie and I have known each other, like, through the academic world um, and engaged online uh, for quite a few years. I had a, a chapter in, in a book that you that you edited quite a, a few years ago that was really fantastic. So it's nice to it's nice to actually hear your voice. Absolutely, Kat. Um, you know, because I knew your work long before you contributed that fabulous uh, chapter to the Fat Pedagogy Reader. Um, and, you know, we read each other's work and have an imaginary person in our head. And it's nice now to have some reality behind that imaginary person. <laughs> <laughs> that could be like an interesting, like, study in and of itself in terms of you know, before you meet this person or see this person, you know, what, what, what's in your mind? You know, what do you have? Um, well, interestingly, I actually, you know, have, and it ties to my work is because I do work in outdoor education. Um, I certainly found that when I went to outdoor education conferences, after I'd started publishing, you could see people's faces as they started to register because I was not at all what they were expecting as a fat woman because fat people are pretty rare in the field. It's a lot of hard bodies and snug outdoor clothing. And so you could see the sort of, you know, their face change and them sort of trying to compute like, oh, my God, she's fat. Oh, what do I do with that? <laughs> Yeah, no, that definitely, um, I can, I can see those faces, you know, like I, I think yeah. a lot of us have, have been kind of in, in similar situations, um, or have at least kind of seen that happen. I wonder though, like, um, if that happens, I would imagine that happens a little less now just with the internet in the sense of like, I've never met you, but I knew what you looked like, you know, before today, just because, um, you know, I've seen your image like on your staff page or those other kinds of things online. So I wonder if it, is, it I, happens a little less, maybe. I think it 
does happen a little less. And of course, you know, going to conferences, then people, you know, get to know you so that they know what to expect. And now that I'm actually writing about those issues, you know, anybody who's actually read familiar with recent your work, things right? would be aware yeah. it's like you know oh fat studies hmm, I wonder what that means so <laughs> yeah yeah it does happen less than it did in you know like 10 20 years ago for sure um so Connie I, I'd actually love to hear a bit more about kind of how you got into fat studies um you know as a as a topic for academic exploration like what? how did that come about for you well, it actually was happenstance. So, you know, I was a fat kid, a fat adult, um, and uh, I had internalized a lot of that fat phobia, and and it benefited me in some ways it, in terms of leading me towards academics, as I, you know, emphasized my intellect versus, you know, my phys ed career, which I, you know, dropped phys ed as soon as I could. And so I found that uh, um, it wasn't until, gosh, my early 40s, when I happened to run into a, um, a researcher named Heather Sykes, who is a prof at the University of Toronto, and she was doing some work on um, fat learners in phys ed studies, and she had a great intersectional analysis. She was looking at, at queer bodies, fat bodies, racialized bodies. And it was this giant aha for me, because even though I had been working in critical pedagogy, including feminist pedagogy, which pays lots of attention to embodiment, I hadn't encountered anything about body size. And it was just this wonderful gift to me to finally have um, a more critical lens rather than internalizing um, the objection, the shame that I had felt all those years. Did you find that bringing that into your work was difficult? I mean, did it, you know, kind of already nicely integrate with kind of the work that you had already been doing? Or was it still, did it still present quite a challenge to bring in that, that extra, that extra lens? Uh, it was difficult personally because writing about it made me feel very vulnerable um and you've written about you know coming out as fat right to actually say yes i'm fat i do know it <laughs> I <recognize> yeah. that. <laughs> um that yeah. was actually tricky so that was i would say the impediment uh because you know i had already been doing work um in sort of critical environmental education where i had like a feminist and queer perspective and and you know to was interested in ecofeminism and intersectional analyses. So, you know, starting to factor in body size wasn't intellectually a challenge. I didn't get resistance to it in terms of publishing. Uh, it was more my own internalized, uh, you know, resistance. That's where, where the challenge was. Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, one of those things that is so often easily overlooked, especially by kind of anyone who's never tried to tried to do that. So tried to study kind of something so close to them, and especially something that is so heavily stigmatized in the sense of like, I mean, I remember being really like a, te you know, kind of teenage age, and like the idea being that like, if I didn't ever bring up my weight or like force my thin friends to go into a store that might have my size clothes or like yeah. bring, if I didn't ever bring any attention to it, like then maybe not even that no one would notice, but like the idea that I would die if they actually did notice. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Thing. Um, and, 
<laughs> I appreciate that it's not that's not exactly comparable to to kind of what you were talking about and what I've talked about in my own kind of work in the past. But there is a level of that when you start engaging in that kind of stuff in your scholarship, isn't there? Absolutely. And I think that anytime we're doing work that's personally meaningful, you're putting your ideas out there. And then if people don't like them, um, then it can feel personal, right? Rather than, you know, if I'm writing about, I don't know, like statistics or something uh, on something that I don't really care about. Not that I've ever written about anything I don't care about. But, but I think that, yeah, for those of us who are personally invested, it absolutely can be challenging. But what was so lovely? I remember um, I, I wrote a paper called Fatties Cause Global Warming, and I presented it at a, at a, a big conference prior to it being published. And um, a few of my buddies knew I was going to be doing that and just sort of like, like hung right around me and sat right beside me as I was doing the presentation at a round table. And it was wonderful, you know, in terms of feeling supported. And these were thin allies, um, as well as just the response to the paper was awesome. And so it was lovely to actually to take that risk and then be supported by people. And, you know, some people just being blown away because of course, even now it's still relatively new. Um, and then, you know, nobody had talked about that at all in environmental or outdoor education. Yeah. Um, I think that as you kind of mentioned before, like about how people respond to you when they see you, when you add, you know, talking about like fatness and fat bodies in education, like that's its own relatively new, um, you know, kind of field of scholarship that you are on, um, you know, leading the field in. But, you know, when you then kind of bring it into something that is even more connected to our ideas about, like, what is a good body and what are moral bodies and all of those types of things, like that physical education thing, that's a whole other level, um, outdoor education kind of stuff. Um, What, like, have you found that you've needed kind of a different strategy or different approach in those spaces than just the larger education and pedagogy general spaces well i think because you know my you know i've always operated at the uh, confluence of environmental ed and social justice education and i've always had a critical pedagogy approach so i, I my approach hasn't really changed in that regard because i've always known that you have to start wherever the students are, right? They are not going to be magically where I wish them to be. So trying to find a place of where they are and then finding strategies of of bringing them along, whether that's through storytelling or use of media, use of experiential activities, um, that has worked uh, for sure. And interestingly, I've you know, now that I've been doing it for a while, I'm actually finding less student resistance than I did. I still have, you know, when I give like talks at the library or talks to colleagues, um, you know, some people are still resistant because they've, you know, obviously bought into the whole um, fat phobic messaging out there, that sort of body 101 that we're immersed in. Uh, But I do find that um, there's a little, there's more openings now for it. And even though, you know, body positivity in many ways has blunted the critical edge of fat activism. Um, It does provide an entry point that I can then, you know, that cracking consent to sort of hegemonic, you know, ideas about weight and I can 
widen that crack even further. It's given me an entry point. And so I am finding now that students are a bit more open to it. And I would say colleagues are a bit more open to it. And, you know, that's because of the field of fat studies, because of fat activists. You know, there's lots of work now and it's finally percolating into popular culture. I um, used to go into a, a phys ed ITE class, so people training to become phys ed teachers. Um, I used to go in at the invitation of, of their professor and do like a one hour kind of workshop about like fatness and fat bodies and, you know, what that means for them as fit ass kind of things. Um, and and I do that actually for a lot of different classrooms. Like I go into people training to be counselors and I go into, you know, other types of teachers that aren't phys ed teachers and stuff. And my experience with the phys ed group has always been that they are just a bit harder to reach. Mm-hmm. Um, and the professor who's a, a colleague and friend of mine, after I had been doing it for a couple of years, like, you know, he and I ended up having a conversation about it. And he said that, what he found is that quite so many of his students are part of what draws them into phys ed is, you know, their own relationships with their bodies and yeah. that they spend so much time and energy, you know, trying to become like the hardest body they can. Um, and that, you know, obviously coming in to suggest that <laughs> all Absolutely. bodies are good bodies and, you know, that they're not necessarily better people for that um yeah it was his suggestion as to why of all the different groups of you know doctors and nurses and uh, nutritionists and whatever counselors and this particular group of teachers training teachers as to why that they might be the hardest group of all of them that that, that I worked with and that's always stuck with me yeah you know? I actually um, think it's it's totally dead on I would say my most resistant folks are those with a background in physical education or kinesiology and a lot of phys ed folks have that background in kinesiology so the whole discipline is you know marinated in healthism and you know has extraordinarily fat phobic um, sort of assumptions baked right into the field. So absolutely, I think that they're hearing it all the time um, from their professors. And I think uh, your colleague's absolutely right that to then be confronted with the notion of all this hard work that they're doing, you know, doesn't, you know, it does not mean it's fine if they want to be doing it for other reasons, but it doesn't make them superior. And you know, if they're searching for that power and that privilege, it's sort of like, oh, so yeah, I certainly, you know, I've certainly had, um, I've given guest lectures where there's like a row of jocks at the back, you know, with their arms crossed and frowning. Um, And they may not get it, but what, or at least initially, and, and that's the thing with critical pedagogy, right? It's like, sometimes it's just planting a seed. And it may take a long time for that seed to blossom, and maybe it won't ever. But in many cases, I have had, in all sorts of critical pedagogy work I've done, students come back years later and go, I get it now, (laughs) you know, whether that's about sexism or racism or or sizeism. uh, Sometimes it just takes a little while for for them to see it. Or when they're hearing from other peers, because certainly in some of those settings, you know, the jocks in the back of the room might be resistant, but then there's other students gobbling it up and so excited in the room who want to talk and want to share their own experiences that that also helps. It's not just coming from me. Absolutely. Um, Connie, 
for the people listening who are keen to learn more about the work that you're doing, um, you know, maybe get a hold of a, a bibliography list or, you know, something to that effect, how can people find you and find your work? Right. So if they Google uh, Connie Russell, Lakehead University, my university webpage um, will come up and that includes a list of all of my publications and links to where they can find them, other interviews I've done, um, that sort of thing. And yeah, and my email's on there. So if people wanted to contact me directly, that certainly would be okay. Connie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been so lovely to chat with you, and I am so just very excited uh, to see the work that you keep going and, you know, where you go next. Me too, and, and yeah, this has been such a pleasure, um, Kat. I've loved your work on intersectionality. I've been, you know, citing your stuff on standpoint theory a lot lately. <laughs> um, it's really good, so it's You're wonderful to blush. have that opportunity. No, you it's can't great. see me, but I'm blushing. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's why radio is so great. <laughs> Connie, thank you so much. Great, thank you. You have a great day. today is Sarah in Vienna, an intimacy coach who runs body empowerment workshops. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on Friend of Maryland. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you became an intimacy coach. And actually, I don't know what that even means, I don't think. So uh, <laughs> tell me a little bit more about you generally, but then tell me what it means to be an intimacy coach. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, um, yeah, I call myself a big body love and intimacy trainer, and um, I'm 32, living in Vienna, Europe. Um, I'm originally um, an art historian and, and was working in the gender and diversity management field for quite a while and um, doing different kind of diversity work, I would say. Um, and I realized after a while that it wasn't enough for me, that I wanted to bring the body into my work. Uh, it was part of my personal story coming out of eating disorders and um, after burnout um, I came to breathwork and did a training and that really got me in touch with my body again and trusted my body through that. Uh, I was fat back then as well. And yeah, after after I did um, work for quite a few years on... on diversity in a theoretical or uh, academic way I wanted to bring the body into it and yeah started to do some tantric work trainings I did the urban tantra training with Barbara Corellas and decided to start my own business and focus on body work and and intimacy work um, for people of all shapes and sizes and be yeah, offer diverse workshops and settings. So intimacy training for me is not just about sexuality. It's about opening up the the heart and the body. Also, in um, for for um, not just erotic touch, but 
in a general way. So intimacy is much more than just sex. So, uh, and I don't want to appropriate tantric work, although I, I use the word tantra quite often so people know what I'm doing. But, um, intimacy is more the intention that I work with. So, yeah. Is that a little bit more clear? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, thank you so much for, yeah, for, for kind of helping clarify that. Do you find that, um, and, you know, I, I, I hope I'm not asking to breach any kind of confidences and ethics, and if I am, just shut me down very quickly. But I'm wondering if when you're working with clients um, around issues of, of intimacy, and especially like physical intimacy, do you find that there are significant differences in how people with non-fat bodies versus people with fat bodies that are your clients and in, in terms of how they approach that, how they respond to that, what their, are their needs significantly different or is it all kind of largely the same and it doesn't necessarily matter the, the body size that someone has? No, it's t totally not the same. It's even uh, very difficult to bring a lot of fat people into my workshops, even those who I know from communities who are activists. But it's really difficult to bring the the body into into that field of empowerment. And I realize that mm, thin people or um, normalized bodies um, have like many, many ways of experiencing um, their bodies in in some kind of workshops, maybe like, I don't know, yoga or dancing or some other kind of creative uh, body work kind of workshop or self-experience. And many fat people don't go into those spaces. Um, I mean, I totally understand. And I also refuse to go to many things I would like uh, would have liked to experience um, but there's just no good workshops around that have like um, uh, fat accepting facilitators so it's really a rare amount of facilitators who who can provide a um, accepting and loving space so fat people who come to my workshops are usually quite shy and bring a lot of body shame and are also, <clears throat> I feel, like really skeptical <laughs> of what I do. And um, I mean, I do provide like big body love workshops. It's kind of like self-love workshops and um, body work for fat people. Um, and these are the only workshops they feel safe enough in a in a much broader amount of participants so many more much more people are coming to those workshops and to the intimacy workshops it's still um yeah some people are come and and are like um, trying it out and still a little skeptical in the beginning but yeah it's not a big amount of fat people coming to my workshops also not a lot of uh, disabled people coming to my workshops, although I, I have clients uh, and friends and ex-partners who participated in my workshops and everybody knows that I'm, it's wheelchair accessible and I used to be a personal assistant of people with physical disabilities, um, so they know that, that um, I have quite an ethical and, and approach to 
being with disabled bodies and not being like really um, parental or yeah with their bodies so um, still a lot of people are not coming who might be interested but it's yeah it's still a way to go and and those who come are like really excited about the work yeah talk to me more about the empowerment workshops um, mm-hmm. you know I'm keen to learn more about yeah I mean because I guess part of my mind is kind of thinking about um, like I understand you know one-on-one work that you might do or like mm-hmm. one on like two or three if you know it's 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 couples or um, mm-hmm. groups of people that, that want to do that kind of work together but I'm, I'm trying to imagine you know kind of trying to design a, a body empowerment almost kind of like soma technic workshop when you don't necessarily know who's going to be in your audience, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'd love to kind of hear a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. So um, my main goal is to create a day where the participants go out into the world and have a different sense of being, meaning letting go of the um, outer look onto their bodies and that image um of how they perceive their bodies to be not right (laughs) and um, have a sense of how their body actually feels. So I'm trying to do a lot of um, breath work and a lot of dance. There is a lot of community. There is no diet talk. So we don't go very deep into um, experiences of body shame in the meaning of we don't talk about the horrible stories that we experienced, but rather um, have like small rituals where we allow those stories to to be told and be witnessed with those, um, but create like um, positive and empowering stories, new stories. So it's a lot about sensing um, what, the body actually wants to do what feels good actually for the body without thinking about, oh my God, how how does my body look like when I move like this? Or um, is like my big tummy popping out of my pants or something? So it doesn't matter in that setting. And it's um, somehow it's a very lovely ritual space we uh, I create um, a celebration for that day so there will be flowers and there will be good food that we share together and we will mm, create I mean mostly it's for women and trans folks so we create um, our inner fats goddesses or heroines um, with clay or do some other creative things and um, there will be nurturing touch like massages or um, just being close to other fat bodies not really in a totally not in an erotic way but um, like just um, yeah being close to bodies and and also letting go of that body shame and and claiming the space everyone just takes up and being together in that and it's really interesting because after quite short amounts of time people are not interested in in talking about the horror stories of the daily lives and just yeah feel themselves and it's really i every time i go out and go home and i'm very blessed to share 
space for that. And yeah, I'm trying to take up space for others who might not uh, feel, yeah, so easy to do that for themselves. And then they go out and feel like quite confident and know they have a community and can come back and yeah. So that's what I'm, I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, that sounds incredibly powerful, Sarah. And I so wish um, that I could come to Vienna um, and bring all the fat people uh, that could benefit <laughs> from those types of workshops and that kind of work uh, with me to see you in Vienna. Um, until then though, if there are people online listening who would like to learn more about your work or get in touch with mm -hmm. you, where can they find you online? Um, my website is called bigbodylove.com. Um, it's um, what's it called in English? The line between words. <laughs> the underscore or the dash? No, the dash. The no. dash. No, it's not the underscore. No, yeah. So it's uh, an under uh, a dash between every word. Big dash body dash love dot com. Otherwise, you find some some interesting um, erotic sites. I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also, if people sign up for my newsletter, <laughs> my emails might uh, land in your spam um, file because uh, yeah, somehow my email address is like really risky but um, you can book my big body love training my self love trainings online I do it via Skype and Zoom as well I have like packages I have like one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions for just one time I also do intimacy training online so I do body work and rituals uh, in Vienna and travel for that to the UK as well um, but um, you can book me online as well so I guide people through the bodywork. I cannot be there, unfortunately, but yeah, that's what I offer. Excellent, Sarah. Well, thank you so much for coming on Friend of Marilyn and talking with us about your work. It's been really lovely to hear from you. Thank you so much, Kat. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Friend of Marilyn. Friend of Marilyn is brought to you by Manawatu People's Radio, triple nine AM. If you'd like to contact the show with questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for topics or guests, you can email us at friendofmarilyn at AOL.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.